Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Our focus today is all about Europe as both the Champions and Challenge Cup got underway last weekend. There were wins for all the usual big hitters, the likes of Leinster, Racing 92 and Exeter, all made winning starts. Meanwhile, Leicester carried their strong domestic form into the competition with an impressive away win at top 14 leaders Bordeaux Begler. A number of games were heavily impacted by the rising number of Covid cases across Europe Cardiff were without 42 members of their playing squad for their clash against the defending champions Toulouse. To their credit, they actually got a side out and, well, they, they, they gave the French Giants a bit of a game, but they ultimately came up short. One of the men who was drafted into play at the weekend was 30-year-old prop Rowan Jenkins. And we'll be speaking to him about his experience and how it unfolded and how he went from his day job as a groundsman to play against the European champions in just four days. Great preparation, eh? In the Premier 15s, the defending champions Harlequins produced their best display of the season to see off Saracens in North London. The defeat was Saracens' first of the season and their first home defeat in three and a half years. We'll discuss the win and the three-way battle at the top with Quinn's captain Rachel Burford, who will be answering your questions. As always, not about Formula One because it's too complicated. We'll recap the World Rugby Awards and we'll discuss the impact the reduced salary cap could have on the Gallagher Premiership after a number of high-profile moves were confirmed last week. Delighted to welcome back alongside me the former England Sevens captain, Rob Vickerman. Hi, Rob. Hi, Brian. All right. I wrote this morning that um, it's a fool's game to try and pick a winner for the European Champions Cup at this time because the fragmented nature of the tournament, as well as COVID uncertainty, you've no idea what will be going on when it gets towards the later rounds. Did you see anything in the opening weekend that would uh, give you a bit more certainty? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, to talk about the co- the confusing nature of F1 at the moment. I think it's equally so when people look at the new format for the Champions Cup and getting your head around that. So essentially, looking at the two pools of is it, twelve, you, is it only two that don't go through to the don't go through to the to the knockout stage? Well, yeah, essentially because of the twenty four teams that are named, twenty two are going to be playing knockout games because the bottom eight are going to drop down to the yeah. Challenge Cup. So yeah, I think what they've done is realise there's a potential to play some big games. In the secondary round, which yeah. will be, um, will it be February games? No, it can't be February, it'll be March um, for the big two rounders. So yeah. at that, that point, it's going to be interesting. I think that's 
probably what's going to set the cat amongst the pigeons there because at the moment you'd say any Irish province is looking really strong. But then what are they going to look like on the back of a Six Nations campaign yep. and then a couple of weeks into it, yep. they're going to have to go back to back on these games. Yeah. Uh, you're in Cardiff to watch the champions yeah. to lose. Um, I almost hesitate to ask this, but what was it actually like? Do you know what? It was amazing. It was fantastic because there were 8,000 people in a jam-packed Cardiff Arms Park yeah. and every single one of those they were almost back to the walls themselves. So every single aspect of the game was getting encouraged and cheered on and any penalty that went against Toulouse, any knock-on that Toulouse committed, it was celebrated like a victory. So it was so galvanising to hear that type of energy in there. And everybody knew they were coming into it with 42 players unavailable and the nonsense that's been going on around the actual putting on of the game. But fair play, they were there. They were committed. It got yeah. on. And it was remarkable. And then... Josh Adams scored to give him a 7-6 lead. I was thinking, no, it can't happen. Obviously, it didn't happen. But what a fantastic atmosphere. It was cathartic, if nothing else. Well, we're going to speak to Rowan Jenkins uh, shortly. He was one of the 11 debutants for Cardiff. Um, did any of the new faces stand out for you? Uh, yeah, a couple, actually. A lad called Theo Cabango on the wing. Tiny little lad. I mean, he's got a lot of development to do, thrown in as a youngster. But, Christ, he got the ball two or three times, and he looked Colby quick, like electric. Oh. So, fingers crossed they're developing nicely. His brother plays for Wales international football team, so they've got a bit of athleticism in the team. Uh, fullback Beetham, uh, there's another good story on that because he got red carded for the high shot. Yes. And as he walked off, kind of gave the thumbs up to the crowd, and there's a standing ovation for him being sent off. It I've was never one of those understood games. that. Down no. to 14 men, well done, mate. Yeah, it, I think it was one of those. It was unfortunate, but because of the nature of the crowd. They were so galvanising. Yeah, I yeah, think they yeah. just kind of recognise his efforts being thrown in as a youngster. So he's another one to look out for, yeah, definitely. Well, one of the standout uh, results of the weekend, it wasn't a great game, by the way, but the uh, Leicester away win at Bordeaux Begler saw off the table toppers. Mm. Um, I really, you know, it just confirms that the progress they've made this season is no accident. Um, there's no reason to suggest they can't carry on and, and, and get better, uh, especially when they didn't field an absolutely full-strength side. There were a lot of what you would call fringe players who came through. How impressive do you think that was? I think it was huge, you know, and albeit it was a bizarre ending when they kicked to the corner, didn't they? But w watching the game on the replays, I, I thought what we're seeing here is the Leicester of old in some ways, that really kind of gritty, determined state of affairs. There's a muscular belligerence about them, isn't there, that they've all, you know, which, which they've been missing for about three, four years, actually. Yeah, at, well, at least, and um, as they were last year, at 11th for so long, suddenly 12 out of 12 games have won. And that, you know, that belief is, it's remarkable what it can do to a team. And I think you get someone like Kev Sinville in there as well. I know it's yeah. not mentioned about Borthwick at the moment, but if you've got your defence coach who's there running 101 miles yeah. for his mate... You don't want to let him down, do you? You know, you don't. And I think that accounts for quite a lot in a squad like theirs. And, and they don't look like they're egotistical in any way, shape or form, which well, is always... Well, one of, one of the things that I was told by an insider... Um, no one admitted this, obviously, from the club. But they said that the last two or three years, they've felt that the players who went on international duty, when they came back, they either didn't seem to care, or they probably did care, but, but they just didn't produce a form. And you've got players now, like, Cole is playing better now this season than he has done for four or five years, I think. Mm. And that's just one example. George Ford was in good form again. We've already talking about how it seems to be sometimes harder to get back into Eddie Jones' plans. Um, Ford, do you think he's uh, uh, going to be an overlooked man? 
Well, I think he's proven a point. I, I personally think he is. To just cast him away like that, I find it bizarre. I find it strange how you can have someone with such ability and confidence and guile when he plays a game and just say you're not needing anymore. You know, if anything else, just to bring Marcus Smith along with that type of tactical head-on. Um, interesting move him going to sale, if nothing else, because the guy that's been, been his agent for 12 years, since he was 16... Uh, Richard Wilkes then got brought in-house at Leicester Tigers, <laughs> relinquished his agency status, and then suddenly it was announced that George oh, Ford come leaves. Back. No, can't do it, sorry. Um, Andre Pollard, that's not a bad replacement, is it? It's a different one. I think, you know, for someone who is in his twilight, and obviously was bad luck last year with his knee injury, I, I find that a really interesting decision because you kind of know what he's going to do. He's going to kick his goals. He's, he's very meticulous in that type of a side of his game, but he's, he's not... Like a George Ford, it, it, it suggests to me a, a type of Borthwick Saracens type of game. You know, the the mm. more structured, you know, approach rather than the off cuff stuff, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely does do that actually. And if that's what they want, then that's the man for the job, isn't mm. it? But I think yeah, interesting. I, I would say different is the word of describing them. In, in contrast, I'm not sure. I think they're going to go backwards without a George Ford just because his skill set is is sublime. Well, there was clean sweep for the Irish provinces. Uh, impressive. Uh, win for Ulster away at Claremont, even though I thought Claremont were really poor. Um, but um, Leinster, you know, they did what they had to do, as they were always going to do. Are they the standout uh, challenge for the Irish, do you think? Well, I mean, we're probably doing Connaught a disservice. Oh, we are probably doing 36-9 over Stad, which is, you know, a remarkable victory for them. I think with all the Irish provinces, you have to look at Leinster, just because I mentioned about the, the sequence of these games and how the pools are going to play out and the Irish campaign of the Six Nations, Leinster's secondary team can still do a formidable job. So I yeah. think they're in a the best position still, as people would expect any pundit to, to highlight and to talk about. But I, I do like the whole belief of, of Irish rugby around the Champions Cup, what it means to them. And I'll and tell you what it looks like get. to me. And I've always said this. One of the ways that uh, the unions who don't have the playing numbers, uh, as, as bigger unions like England can do, they can get, if they want to, get hold of their limited number of pro club sides or provincial or regional sides and get a better dialogue between the national coaches and the limited number of head coaches and try and push in the same way like New Zealand do. And it, I don't know if I'm overplaying this, but it does seem to me that the direction that uh, Andy Farrell is trying to get the Irish to move into is sort of being replicated within their provinces. It, it seems to be the plane with much less structure than, than before. Well, it could be argued it's the other way around, actually, and Ireland trying to replicate what Leinster are doing, because no, that's very much... Whichever way it goes, yeah. Yeah, the mould. And I think when you get someone like a Stuart Lancaster at the helm with the coaching side, Leo Cullen gets it. Andy Friend, again, skills-based coach. He's all about player power uh, across, the, across the side of... Ireland and Connell. I think you've got a really interesting dynamic there, but they've got that ultimate control of the players, and yes. that's what's pivotal. Yeah. Um, Racing 92 and 9th in the top. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's been going on, because when you look at what they did to Northampton, who were third in the Premiership, and they made it look very ordinary, and, 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 and Northampton were a very decent team, but they did look really ordinary. And uh, I, sort of, I, had to, I went back and looked at the team sheet for um, Racing, I thought, my God. If this lot click, they've got two front fives, interchangeable, they're very powerful, carrying back rowers, and, you know, a backline. Finn Russell gets most of the attention, but you've all their three units are all class players. Yeah. And they all balance each other. And at any one time, you think, oh, a potential game winner there, maybe, maybe. Um, and I 
said it's, having said it's a stupid uh, man's game to try and make predictions, I do still say if they click, it, it'll be a good side that beats them. Yeah, and they've got the advantage of playing at home, which yes. is some sort of festival type action at the Defence Arena. I think they're like the Bulls, aren't they? Everyone talks about Finn Russell, like the Michael Jordan team, when he's firing, no one can touch him. But actually, they've got those players around him that make him even better. Yeah, And that's why I think they look formidable. But as you say, it's it's a racing team that need to click consistently and across the space of the three-month programme. Yeah. That's the bigger challenge. But if they do hit their straps, you're right. There, there aren't many teams that can get near Like them. a tower, Tomar, just, just roll off them nationally. Yeah. Um, any team that can have Camille Shatt as a bit as a bit player for thirty minutes <laughs> must have must have some power and budget <laughs> yeah and, and big budget yeah uh, elsewhere look, challenge cup massive upset uh, for Saracens beaten by Edinburgh uh, I don't know if you describe that necessarily as the uh, result of the weekend it was for Edinburgh but uh, mm. uh, that did surprise me it was a bit of a shock I think for me in terms of the results across the weekend <laughs> there've been many of them we've got um, first round of seventy one matches in the in the Champions Cup which is a formidable concept. <laughs> yes. It was actually the Wasps-Munster game, which was cracking. Some yeah. massive moments in that. And the, the storyline going into it was Munster been without 34 players because of the COVID impact. Actually, Wasps were about 25, so they were hugely impacted. And then they lost Shields early doors. So there was a lot of that game that I thought was quite engrossing and engaging. And, and ultimately, Munster came away with a, with a kudos on the back of it. But I fear for, for Wasps next week because they got to lose. So I mean, in all these things, most sides will get more fluent you know, playing regularly mm. the first four four rounds. It's only the first one, and any team, no matter who they are, can just sort of stutter. So uh, it is more difficult, I think, to to pull absolutes from it. Um, when you the new concept, when you're going to get all these teams going down, do you think they'll be able to galvanise a Challenge Cup properly? Because that's been the challenge, hasn't it? It's, it's almost been. Oh, I won't bother till I get to the final, actually. It, well, the new format means you can have a bit of a stumble, whereas previously, if you lost a game, you were in a dangerous position. Lost two, you're almost a write-off with yeah. the point system looking at the, the top eight teams qualifying. Um, this very much different, and I think what they've done is said, look, our strength of this programme is there's going to be some big teams that are still in the competition toward the latter stages, and rather than being a dead duck, how can we keep their interest? Yeah. Well, you create this round of 16 games where actually you can have a bit of a poor start to this campaign, yet still going to be within a shout. Um, those teams that are going to drop down, they're still going to be facing great teams. I mean, the concept could be that one of these failing Champions Cup teams, and, and pick one, for example, I don't know, like an Ulster, that might well struggle, or you know, a Bath or whatever, they're going to be facing potentially Saracens and Edinburgh in these big games. So actually, there's still quite a lot to be had for the teams that have seen to be failed in their first uh, half of this Champions Cup campaign. And I think that's a really clever way of doing it, because the strength of the model is clearly these big European teams playing each other so we're going to have that in buckets this year well I, I, mean, I suppose we will find out when we see the crowds because some some were, some were absolutely packed and some were quite sparse to be honest weren't they yeah they were a little bit and I think that's the fear again after Six Nations where as you know more than anyone that the interest of the nation is peaked and then so actually give it two weeks and we've got these massive European games so there is potential for it to be galvanising but I question if this is going to be repeated or if this is just a bit of a you know Covid emergency style format well, I mean, what we'll see. I know that I do know that the uh, the um, the governing body, the European governing body, have been trying for a long time to make both competitions stand on their own, mm. and they haven't been able to do that. So they've had an amalgam, and uh, I mean, you don't want games that, that don't attract attention because they're a waste of time. So let's uh, let's hope that this does work. Yeah, with the asterisk about South African teams as well. Potentially, <laughs> we'll not get into yeah. that one. No, not yet. No. <laughs> Let's speak to someone who, who had four days' preparation 
to face the European champions. We're now going to speak to the Cardiff prop, Rowan Jenkins. Rowan, in the space of a week, you're playing semi-pro in the Premiership. Then you're starting the Champions Cup against the champions. How did that all come about? Um, I'll be honest. Uh, I obviously down with our and RFC and doing the ground and things down there. But um, during the, the COVID scenario last Christmas, um, Tom Smith offered me the opportunity Cardiff Blues to come in and help out. They'd had a couple of injuries and things, and I think over obviously what's happened again around this Christmas as well. And obviously the Cardiff rugby having bad luck going into isolation. My name was probably down on the contacts book, so they, they got back in touch with me. So when you heard the ever rising number of players that didn't uh, weren't available, were you expecting to be called up? I, I'll be honest, with you, I wasn't. You know, uh, I had a good period last Christmas, and I sort of took it for what it was as a bit of experience helping out as. You know, they, they were already contracted players, but uh, with what was going on, I, I sort of saw it being uh, cancelled or rearranged, you know, and didn't really expect a phone call at all. I thought they would have obviously not forfeited the game, but maybe they were looking at change of dates at one point, didn't they? Well, it was an interesting uh, interesting career because it won your debut in European rugby. Are you, and you also played for, for Lethley. Um I was with um, the Ospreys uh, four years ago. Um I'm from Tlenetli, but I was with the Ospreys for two years, uh, as I said, about four years ago. And um, I had the opportunity to play in um, a European Cup match against Northampton. So that was a great experience. That was Obviously, I'd, I'd had a taste of it. But like you say, coming in raw after four or five years out of the environment and going into, obviously, that sort of stage, was, I, I couldn't say no to it. Even though, realistically, in my mind, it was a bit of a mountain to climb, you know? Road, it's Robbie. I mean, I, I was there and it was... The word I use is galvanising. But how was it for you to run out and just hear that noise and feel that environment? Uh, surreal. I, I've used the word a few times. Obviously, I've, I've spoken to other people and I say surreal. You never expect... Um, I've never expected to play in a crowd that big. Um, the noise, you know, obviously people I don't know, know have seen my name and seen it as a, a bit of an underdog story and um, with who I was up against and they were shouting down from the crowd and calling me out and just saying... Good luck, and you know, we're behind you with things and going in, and it was, you know, it, was, it all added to it, and you could hear from the change rooms underneath. You know, it, it was really bouncing here, and I know silly things, you know, but like you know, the, the smoke machine and just the atmosphere. Yeah, it's the volume about it as well, and obviously you have a quick glance across, and you can see the level of players you're up against. And two weeks ago, they they were beating uh, New Zealand, you know, and I'm thinking I'm on the stage with these faces this week. Is there's a lot of take in, but uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, one of my claims to fame, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't parrot this, is that I never missed a tackle on Jonah Lomu. That's because yes. I never got anywhere near him. Uh, and you, <laughs> you were playing on the recently crowned World, uh, Ruby World Player of the Year, Antoine Dupont, who is a fantastic player. Did, did you manage to get near him? Um, yeah, he's putting the ball in on the scrum. <laughs> yeah, it was one period I remember second half. I think he he received um, a clearance kick, and I I think I had Will Davis King. No disrespect to him either inside me tight dead, and I sort of felt like um, you know, I I can do my best, but I, I had a feeling he was going to find the space. You know, <laughs> um, I gave up. Started. How did you, I mean? Obviously, even if you knew it's coming, the jump yeah. up. Because uh, I, I always say it's not just one thing. It's not just players are a bit quicker. They're a bit stronger. They're a bit yeah. cleverer. They're a bit more skillful. They're a bit faster in reaction times. And you put all that together, and it makes a big difference. So even knew it's coming. Uh, how did yeah. you find that jump? 
Um, in my in my head, I, I just didn't want to disappoint. You know, like uh, the, the worst feeling as a front row or prop or whatever is to be absolutely run over. Um, you know, I was, I was up quite early on Saturday thinking about it and hoping it wouldn't happen. But um, like you said, uh, the group I've come into with Cardiff Rugby, the the senior internationals that were that was remained. Um, Ellis Jenkins, obviously, Ollie's not a Welsh international, but Ollie's part of the senior um, rugby rugby um, team here, um, and they just uh, gave us so much confidence. You know, there's there's no panic, there's no problem. They always said, leave the the big decisions to us. You know, just go out and express yourselves. Like I said, I, I probably called upon some past experience of being in a full time environment at the Ospreys. You know, it is um, I sort of sensed when I was coming, in, but. Um, like I said, I, I couldn't prepare any more for it or, or rush or cram anything in. You know, I just had to go with what I got, you know. Well, talk about preparation. You've just had to prepare for the European champions and top 14 champions. Now you've got the English Premiership champions. What are the chances of you featuring again this week? Then? I'm quite confident I'll feature again. I, I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say or whatever. But you say what you want. Again, I'll, I'll have a word with Richie. It's fine. Yeah, that's, that's all. <laughs> I probably, like probably see it going same, same as last week. But like I said, there'll probably be a lot more pointers this week now, as we've sort of we sort of established that. Not say we we you know we done better than what people thought we were going to do, but uh, we definitely gave ourselves a lot of credit from last week. And like I said, we're just trying to put hopefully a better performance in again next week now, and not make it like a one hit one day. You know. Uh, last uh, question, Rowan, uh, before we let you go. Um, yeah. How have Aberavon been about this? Oh, brilliant. Uh, I can't speak highly enough for the club. Uh, like with the Ospreys, you know, they let me chase a dream down there a few years ago. They let me try and continue the dream. I went up to Yorkshire Carnegie for about six months. Um, we got a, a brilliant chairman. Everyone you speak to about um, Andrew Von John, they won't, they won't say um, a bad word about him. He's, um, they basically just sat us down, explained the situation, and it was a good luck, you know, and the coaching staff um, around Darbraven as well. Um, you know, Jason, Jason Hyatt, he, he's always explained he, he wants boys to kick on and do as best they can. Like, uh, we always, I, I know not many people believe it, but the Welsh Premiership uh, doesn't get the credit it deserves. You know, boys working full time and trying to play as hard as they can. Obviously, it's not this level, but, um, you know, you'd be quite surprised there's a couple of hidden gems knocking about there, and hopefully. Like for example, myself, Geraint James, and boys who stepped up. Yes, we were, we were shock, shock for one game. You know, we can always give as much as we can for one or two games, but hopefully we can sort of highlight that there are players down there. You know, have a, have a look. You know, and hopefully we can get their their games more coverage. You know, if I'm allowed to say that. You know. Well, Rowan, um, can I just say thanks for coming on? Um, good luck. Let's, oh, let's, let's make sure. Let's hope you get in. Let's hope you have another standing ovation when you go, when you leave when you go to the field. Yeah, that was another, that's another thing I thought was, uh, that was unbelievable as well. But like I said, uh, you know, the thanks goes both ways. Um, like Ellis, Ellis was thanking us for coming in, but at the same time, he's he's made it an enjoyable experience and took the pressure off us. And he sort of made it about us enjoying our experience and not about uh, themselves, you know, if that makes sense. That's Rowan Jenkins. What a remarkable story that is, isn't it? Oh, it's great. Yeah, and about that leadership element, there were some really good soundbites throughout it all. Notably, it was actually mentioned by Miles in commentary. Josh Adams said their whole mantra for the week was to stay naive, and I just love that. And I yeah. think that was a really, really amazing insight from Rowan.
Now, time to speak to someone who I think is probably glowing after the weekend because Harlequins women produced their best performance of the season so far to see off the big rival Saracens in North London. First defeat for Saris ladies um, and first home defeat for over three and a half years. Quinn skipper Rachel Burford is here. Hello, Rach. Hey, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Good win. And uh, look, everyone knows the rivalry that's... Uh, beginning to develop between your, you and Saris. But um, do you think it was a one-off or do you think you've, or do you think you've laid down a marker? I, I think we, we've laid down a bit of a marker of where we believe our potential has been all season. We've been in those positions so many times against Saracens but never been able to stay in that fight and actually continue to, to keep playing, keeping the pressure on and turning things around. Whereas... You know, even on the 65 minute, we've been there before where Saracens are two or three tries behind and they've come back to beat us. And I think we've just really learned those lessons over the years. Um, Yeah, and I think the thing is, we look back at that game and there was so much good out of it, but there was so much that we can improve on. And and that's I know that's kind of what everybody always says on on the back of um, results, but we really still have so much more to grow. And so to get a, get a performance the way that we did against such a top class side who, as you mentioned, around all their credentials, you know, was so, so impressive from the whole team. But we know that we can still kick on. Well, as you say, we've seen this before um, in several previous uh, encounters. Um, that will have had some effect, but the fact that they hadn't been uh, beaten at home for three years. Is that something you mention or do you just forget about things like that? It's all about the game. You know, we did, yeah, we genuinely didn't even know about it. We didn't speak about it at all. It was kind of on social media, post it, and a couple of people saying, well done for you know ending their kind of run. And that, that was something that we said at the start of the game. You know, This is just another game. It may be, feel a bit bigger, but we're big players and, and we like to rise to big occasions. And we really kind of focused on us and what we wanted to do and how we wanted to play. And you know, even at half time, the game was nowhere near done. We said, we can't stop playing. We have to keep going to play. We want to play a Quinn's way and a Quinn style. You know, we don't want to try and go into a massive physical battle constantly against this side because we know what they can do there. Um, and so I think for us, that was that was the big message. It was all about us, how we wanted to play. And we didn't we didn't talk about winning or losing. We just talked about going out there and putting our best foot forward and it will take care of itself. Well, I know you're a really empathetic leader, Rach. And, and when you look across your team list and you see teams, uh, players who really have moments where they're very visible emotionally, um, the minute silence beforehand, I know it's a really uh, pertinent point to mention, but... To, to have lost a teammate for your nation, how difficult was it for Jay Conkle to get around that? Because you could tell she was really feeling that emotion. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a tough couple of weeks for Jade, Sarah Bonner and, and Lauren Brooks, who all knew Siobhan really personally. And, you know, we just made it very clear that we wanted to do whatever we could to support them all. Um, and at the start of the game, you know, it was extremely emotional for Jade, um, you know, having shared a Scotland shirt with Siobhan. It's... You know, it's hard to put yourself in that position, but I think she knew that we all had her back that day um, and she knew that she was putting a performance in for her teammate. Um, and so I was so delighted. I mean, she played outstanding, absolute standout player for us um, in that game, real leadership in how she played and deserved player of the match. But yeah, I mean, you know, fair play to her. To, she was, you know, she was in floods of tears after that minute silence and to compose herself and then put on the performance that she did, you know, huge respect and credit to her. Um, 
two weeks as a gap before you uh, play at home to Wasps. Um, is that good or you'd rather just get on with it and develop momentum? Um, I think it's good. We, we, I think we need a bit of a rest after a big game like that against Saracens. We've got a really good training schedule going into that Wasp game, uh, the big game at Twickenham, which I think everybody's hugely excited about. And, you know, we know that we've got things that we need to tidy up. We know that Wasps are a different kind of playing, have a different type of playing style and have different threats. They're going to have the, the England Sevens and GB Sevens girls back playing for them. So there's so much excitement about the big game as a whole and what it represents. But yeah, I think you know it gives us a chance to pause reflect on what we've achieved over the last few weeks and how you know before the autumn internationals you know we had some fixtures that weren't in our favor and we had areas that we needed to learn so from to come on the back of that put on three three really good performances have a bit of a pause reflect bit of rest and then kick on to to big game is a pretty exciting place to be in time for your marketing Rachel it's going to be a good one isn't it i tell you what as well lastly from me on it a clean sweep for England at the World Rugby Awards. You don't get many people from Castleford winning awards. So for Simon <laughs> Middleton to get Coach of the Year and Zoe Alcroft winning Player of the Year, how exciting is that for English rugby? Yeah, it's great, isn't it? I'm sure people would have Googled where, where those places were. But um, no, yeah, delighted for Zoe Alcroft. She's been, you know, immense, as has Poppy Cleo. You know, both of them being nominated. It must have been a really tight call. Um, but yeah, I think it's great to show you that... You know, as soon as Zoe won the, the award, lots of people around the area were coming out and talking about it. And, and that's the whole point of this, isn't it? It's growing the game across the country. The whole reason of go, moving the games around the country is to grow more audiences. And I think it's phenomenal, you know, for England rugby to, you know, five of the players as well, the Red Roses, to be in the team of the year. It really stands out about what we're what our intent is in this country. And, yeah, really delighted for, for all the nominees, but also all the winners as well. Rach, one of the most impressive things i feel about you is not just the leadership you give uh, in and around the fixtures, but in the women's game in general. Um, and my daughter's just booked for another one of your coaching uh, coaching classes. Um, but um, the, the be- what's the reaction been to the formation of the new women's union, the WRA? It's been set up by Daniel Waterman. Um, I'll, I'll have, have my thoughts in, in a second, but what, you, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I think it's a, a good initiative. It's needed, isn't it? There's, they can see that Allianz Premier 15 is just going from strength to strength, the expectation of players now. So there needs to be a player's voice. Um, I think the RPA has had some involvement in discussions. I've had some discussions with them. Um, and I guess it's just about understanding the real detail around it and what it's really going to look like for players and how they can support players and, and you know, make sure that it is a positive thing for players in the game. Because I, I, you've got a, um, a member now on the RPA board, first time ever, um, and I'm just just wondering um, whether it's because two organisations sharing uh, resources and so on will give you some benefits. If you were, um, if you were say the the the, the women's section of the RPA, um, I just wonder there whether you get even more synergy. Uh, and it'd be even easier to uh, learn those lessons, as you say, being in the same buildings and so on. I, I just wonder. I just wonder if it, if when you're first starting, I know you have to start somewhere. Whether it might have been better to to, to go under the wing of the RPA and then do do this. 
Yeah, I think, you know, potentially, I think conversations were being had and, and maybe it's just not the right time at the moment. Um, the RPA have been doing lots of work in the background the last two years, you know, putting working groups together, talking to the players, doing a player survey. So they've been putting in a lot of kind of work behind the scenes, but just kind of not ready to take that next step. And But I think there'll be more conversations. Look, we all know that if we do things collaboratively, we get moving faster and we get more benefits for the, at the end of the day for the players. And I I think the the experience and the knowledge that the RPA have it would be you know be silly not to like you say have things all under one house or to share the knowledge and the resources because ultimately who's going to benefit the most from that the players which is what player associations are all about because I don't I don't think many people realise that um, it's not like the PFA who have massive reserves millions and millions that they don't spend apart from on on a past uh, chief executive. Um, but you know the 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 RPA is funded largely by by sponsors and some of the money from the RFU who've realised that actually it's better to put money into organisations like this because you get a concerted voice rather than a fragmented one so you can actually work better uh, with players. But the challenge going forward is is always going to be resourcing it, isn't it? Because um, you know, you it, it will be almost impossible on on people playing subs. I mean, you just can't do it like that. Well, it's a pound to be a member, isn't it? I actually spoke with Nolly this weekend yeah. about it, and and Rachel probably jump on this from her international rugby players' perspective as well. But the RPA, you're right, finite in their resources to try and do as much as they want to do and would like to do for the women's game. Would be difficult under the RPA banner. So they've yeah. said, right, well, let's look at it. Uh, and what I like about it, they've got events people there as well. So of the brilliantly named Nolly, Polly and Holly, <laughs> as well as Emma, that have, have set this up. They've got the legal background, but also events. Because, Rach, I guess, you know, from your perspective, there is a massive amount of traction for the women's games, but it's how you then monetize that and commercialize it. Yeah, absolutely. It's capitalising on on the product, isn't it? We know that the product's there. Now, how do we build everything else around that? And, you know, having expertise and, and great understanding in that level is only going to help develop and accelerate it. And, yeah, I think, you know, having the right people is always part of the battle, isn't it? Or speaking to the right people is, is obviously the first kind of steps that you can find barriers in. So having the right people in place is important. Rich, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. Cheers. Well, let's wrap up with a few ad hoc points. Men's Player of the Year, uh, Antoine Dupont. There wasn't anyone really to touch him, was there, really? No. When when do you ever get these types of opinion, poll votes, whatever, nominations cast, when there is no debate about it? I mean, the yeah. guy was just sensational. I mean, the only person that may well push him would be his fly half alongside him, an intermac. But actually, He's getting Dupont, better as well. He's still getting better. Even, like, player watching him, I watched him for 40 minutes solidly. Everything he does is just so brilliantly timed, like off the ball, his reading of the lines. It's just formidable. Defensively and, and, and offensively as well. It's really intelligent. And, and the thing that people don't probably realise, in a game where we are talking about giants, you know, huge humans, he's like five foot eight. All right, his head's massive, but he's really small in stature. And his power he can generate is brilliant. And I think it's a really big thing for rugby to celebrate. It's not about the behemoths. It's about these really intelligent skillful players that can change games with two or three actions. It's quite obvious that he's got what you can't put in to players. He's got an appreciation when he's approaching breakdowns and whatever. He's got the ability to be running at full tilt, but scanning 
you know, in a, an intelligent, calm way, what the options are is getting calls from here, there, and he, not always, because no one always does this, but you know, almost invariably makes a, a really good decision. Even when the expectations there, that's the hard thing because yeah. Cardiff knew when he'd get it, they put pressure on him. And the time actually, Rome was speaking about it. Broken field play, got the ball back in his own twenty-two. Feigned a kick, beat two people, then suddenly just saw this space ahead of him. And then with that, people are attracted to him. So he gave the ball inside to Entomac, who then got this ball amazingly away to Jelon, who scored under the sticks. You're thinking, that came from nothing. Yep. This is a good team against him. And this one guy is carved through them. And that's the scrum after do it, who just he doesn't stop working. Is is a wonder to watch. Uh, well, the if you don't know, the salary cap for the Premiership team has gone down to £5 million. That's if they uh, adhere to it. I would think they probably will do because of COVID and recent travails for one particular club. Um, well, we're starting to see the effect of this uh, new salary cap. Vincent Cock is going uh, from Saracens to Wasps, Exeter losing Johnny Hill and Sam Skinner. Rob Baxter says it will hinder the English sides in Europe, but some are arguing it will make the Premiership much more uneven playing field. What are your thoughts? I don't think it'll make it even. I still think there's big spenders in the league and teams that just don't spend that table of money. I think it's a sensible thing to restrict it because of the way it was going, it was getting a joke. I mean, you've got million-pound players flying around. And the reality is, if you're Bristol and a Steve Lansdowne's the owner of it, or chairman, and he's there going, you know, your salary cap, you're saying it's seven million as it was, that's not even a striker in the world of football. So he was happy to kind of fill the boots and, and look what he did for Bristol. Um, I think restricting the salary cap is a sensible thing to do to protect the game. What I'd also like to see is a little bit more investment in the league beneath it, but that's a different um, argument entirely. I think, yeah, restricting it, short-term, good solution, long-term, even better solution. I mean, it will will have some effect. Of course it will have some effect in Europe because they can't spend as much. But um, my point is these clubs need to survive. They need to be on 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 a realistic footing because you don't want to get into situations where uh, clubs are, you know, almost to the wall with administration because that doesn't do anyone any favours either. No, no one likes admin. People always focus on the salary cap. One, there are two aspects to this. The French salary cap is very well policed and adhered to, but it's much higher. But what people don't mention is the huge advantage that the Irish tax system gives to their provincial sides. Now, that's not, you know, that's, that's not unfair. This is just how it is in that country. They get their tax back, the whole lot, for their career. I talked to Shane Byrne, big wedge at the end. So if you know that you're effectively being squirrelled away, uh, money that uh, is going to come back to you, that's a big attraction, isn't it? Ten years, isn't it, the commitment you have to put in? Yeah, and it makes that kind of testimonial year all the more relevant, doesn't it? Can you imagine that? But it's clever because it keeps your players in the country. And that's what people want. All right, you get your marquee names that are going to attract a few fans here. But actually, when we talk about salary caps... People want to see good teams play. They want good clubs. They want good community outreach programs. Yeah. So your marquee players are great, but they're not going to make you a championship winning team. It's far deeper than that. And that's why Ireland, from that perspective, get it right. Because they not only do that from a provincial point of view, they're backed as Irish players. So you've not only got the nationalists involved with it, you've got the people who are looking at it from you know the individual unions. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. A big thanks to Rob Vickham for joining me. And to my guests, Rowan Jenkins and Rachel Burford. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can check out all our previous episodes by registering or subscribing to the Full Contact podcast channel. And that includes last week's sit-down with England head coach Eddie Jones. I'll be back next week alongside Bob Skinstad for our final show of 2021. Uh, It's been a strange year. Some highs, some lows. 
Uh, let's look forward to uh, 2022. But until then, it's goodbye. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.